and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Duff Network, where we reflect on Wildbo's most self-aware work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we're here, we're back from being away to talk about Uh-oh. Back Away. <laughs> uh, starting with Back Away 5.A, which is in the perspective of Clementine. Um, I, I was so thrilled when I saw, like, not just that it was a Clem interlude, which I was already like, hell yeah. But then mm. like, the dot A just sort of tells you there's going to be more. And I was there's like, going to oh, be more. We're doing yes. a whole bunch of Bristonian uh, POVs and I can't wait. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I was very excited and then immediately a bit annoyed when I found out that uh, Sherry is one of the, sorry, Sharon is one of the uh, Bristonians that is um, part of their little team. But yeah. uh, luckily we get her interlude out of the way and a bonus material. So we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that, but I I really like that as a way because I was like I was sort of doing the same thing. I was like I don't I don't want to do a chapter that I have to read twice from from Sharon's perspective. Like yeah. I don't think anybody wants to read that. And so yeah. giving her a phone conversation interlude light, I was just like, yeah, this is a neat way. Yeah, to start, perfect, so. good way to do it while not doing it too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, we'll get to that. So let's begin with five point A, which is in Clementine's head. Clem, let's just call her Clem. Uh, Clem returns from the shops, and we get a brief insight into what her life is like at this Tommy Wiseau's The Neighbors style apartment complex. The thing I hate the most about <laughs> this take is that I can't disagree with it. So, like, how yes. dare you for making mm-hmm. me realize that this is just The Neighbors plus yeah. plus? Uh, and yeah, for... <laughs> like, this is something I can't unlearn. I'm going to have to explain it a bit um, to everyone except Wabo, who presumably knows about this already because he took inspiration from it. Uh, Tommy Wiseau <laughs> famed... Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Wiseau, the uh, famed uh, bad movie auteur, is not just in the business of creating bad movies. No, he had a television series produced for Hulu. Hulu approached him and gave him money to produce a TV series that I think he ended up writing seven scripts for and they filmed three episodes, four no, episodes. No, there were we watched seven whole episodes together. I oh wow. I remember that seven came out because we sat through all of them and I don't yeah. know how you could forget that. Um <laughs> sorry. My, I think my... I've blocked it out. Um yeah anyway it's about uh, Tommy Wiseau who plays a landlord slash Mr. Bristow, uh, filled with zany tenants, slash Clementine and Daniel <laughs> and Sharon, etc. The parallels really are there, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, look, if you like The Room, this is exactly the same bullshit, just to get my Meteor MD uh, fix in. it's it, I'd recommend mm-hmm. it if you enjoy garbage. Um, it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, sorry, side note. I ha- I had my phone off of silent for like the first time in years a couple of months ago, and mm. my calendar alert went off vocally for the first time in like almost five years, and it's still mm. what and a it's day. still what a day, <laughs> yeah. what a what a day. I still um, say that sometimes, and nobody knows that it's a reference. Yeah, to I do. The neighbors. I do the same thing. Um, yeah, I, I think it. Uh, sorry, one last the neighbors fact. I know that that's not what we're here to do. But <laughs> Look, let's just you open okay, this gate. scrap pale reflections. Okay, <laughs> we're now going to be called Round the Neighborhood, and it's going to be a show talking about the neighbors. Um, my favorite part was when Tommy Wiseau said he like he had shot enough for three to five episodes. Mm-hmm. There was like one time where he said that because it was like. Look, I haven't worked on a TV show. I'm not 100 percent down on the process. But how can you not be sure 
whether the footage is going to make three <laughs> to five. Like that, that's just it doesn't a, make sense, does it? Because you would think that process. each episode should have a, you know, a logical, I mean, a script at the very least that is broken down by episodes or. Yeah, but you know, Ruben, just, yeah. we watched it. You, no, you know it doesn't. That's not the case. I I, that's for the benefit of our audience. Um, <laughs> the Neighbours, a just bizarre show that's remember well worth the, a watch if you're into bad movies. Remember when the princess moves in? No, yeah, she comes at the end of episode I guess, two. Spoilers. Her name is oh. Princess Penelope. That's I should it, say. That's it. That's it. And um, she's just somebody who is clearly American, but is putting on a vaguely British accent, and is a princess of somewhere. What a day! <laughs> Never quite described. What, what a, a what a day! What a day! What a day. <laughs> um, anyway, should we talk yeah. about pale now? Back to quality content. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, they all live in this apartment complex. And we get a hint at the Tommy Wiseau of this apartment complex. Um, no, sorry, I got that wrong. We just get it. I forget the character's name. He's like the repairman uh, is, I think, who Mr. Figaro is meant to be an analogy for. Anyway, we get a hint at one of the other residents in this uh, apartment complex, Mr. Figaro. And I love how this chapter just kind of shows off that this apartment complex is just filled to the brim with people who all have their own, like, complex backstories and weird quirks we only get like two sentences of of figueroa and the sentences we get is that things kind of seem to slide off of him weirdly and you know that that means he's his own type of special person yeah yeah he seems to like, like the impression i sort of got is he's like the opposite of charles like he's maybe someone with yes. karma because it kind of sounds like things just work out for him uh, yeah although it can't quite be karma because he also doesn't seem to be able to spend it um yeah i mean you're right like there's there's this like wacky collection of people here who just must play play off each other in, in such fun ways um but right from the get-go especially from clem's perspective you really mm. start to get a sense of how uncomfortable she is with this place yeah like to the point where i'm almost questioning why she's still here i suppose there there are benefits but um, well yeah i mean that's what this chapter is kind of talking about is why is clem here right and the hints that we get is that at least to me it kind of seems like i mean she does have a, a connection to some of the people here daniel specifically is mentioned and i would assume that there's others um but also she clearly just wants answers from bristow and so that's the leverage that he has over her yeah i mean she's also friends with sharon that's confirmed later uh by sharon yep, confirmed best friends <laughs> I love that moment where she's just like, wait, Sharon thinks we're friends? Oh, yeah. That's so good. Um, it, yeah. I, I mean, I, you're right. Like, I feel like right from the get-go, this chapter is just putting you on Team Clem. Um, oh, yeah. Like, she's against a shitty Parker in Mr. Figaro, which, like... Very relatable. Yeah, everyone everyone. Not just it. a shitty Parker. He takes up four fucking spots. Like, yeah. that's beyond the realm <laughs> of bad at parking. That's Especially actively malicious parking. In a place he lives in where it's allocated parking. Um, yeah, it's like... insanity. It's the, <laughs> I think this might be the craziest thing that's ever happened in a Wild Boar story. <laughs> yeah, worst person in a Wild Boar story. <laughs> Most villainous character <laughs> award goes to Mr. Figaro. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, like, you know, and like Clem is clearly sort of paranoid and, and nervous, which, you know, we yes. know enough of her backstory to know why. But it's also oh, yeah. kind of an endearing trait, especially because we know enough about this world to sort of be like, okay, Clem, you know, she's intelligent. She's yeah, scared she's of everything. She's going about it the right like, way, as yeah. much as we can tell. Um, um, I just wanted to say as well, Bristow's, later on, wait, we, so we meet Arlene here, who's Bristow's mm -hmm. niece. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And later on, Bristow comments on like how many nieces and nephews he's gone through. <laughs> Which hopefully, I think he just means working at the front desk. Oh, not yeah. <laughs> like they've died. <laughs> but you never know. Got me 100% sure. Um, yeah. But what was interesting to me is like, it seems like most of the other families we meet, everyone tends to be awake mm. um, and like a full on practitioner. So I, I can't remember if we talked about this already, but like, uh, do we know enough about Bristow? Is he from a dynasty or anything, or is he just like because it 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 just it, this bit made me realize it totally tracks to me that Bristow is someone who uses his family as much as he's yes. using these other people. Like he's just yes. in it for him. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we if he comes from a dynasty. I mean, honestly, I'm not even sure if his. I mean, it seems like his niece is not awakened because she's way too cavalier with this package <laughs> that came for Clem, right? Yeah, she she didn't give me the vibe of someone who knew what was happening. Yes, um, possibly the knight, you know, the knight person is. Uh, I don't know. I'm just assuming that because Clem said he's more mean and that tracks with him <laughs> being a practitioner. I don't know. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it certainly increases the odds a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just like we just get a lot of insights into how much of a shit Mr. Bristow is this week. Yep. Uh, yeah, he's, he does seem to be much more of a jerk than we've seen. I mean, we hadn't seen much of him, so. No, and I think we were suspecting, um, but. Yeah, we suspect jerkery from him for sure. Well, because he's a professional, Um, it's kind of the default setting. (laughs) To Uh, get until proven otherwise. (laughs) Can we touch on Mr. Morrow, who, I don't know, I mean, I know what his power is. It's being a you know, a patient zero, a Typhoid Mary kind of vibe. Yeah. Why is that useful to Bristow? I don't understand. I had the same thought. I was like, does, and what does he get out of, I suppose maybe Bristow offers him medical care or something, but I mean, this has got to be one. There, there had better be absolutely no way to fix this man. <laughs> Cause there's mm. just, there is no m- moral standing that I could think of where it's okay to keep this guy like this for a bit of, power or whatever i don't even know how he gets to power but like i don't care it even if it's a lot like how you got to fix this guy if you can surely yeah i yeah i don't know if there's a way for bristow to have cured these people i think he would have done it i mean enough of them are in enough trouble consistently like clem clearly leads a life that is constantly in danger of hurting her and her friends and that is as we see, taking a mental toll on her, right? Like she, she had this very intimate and um, human moment with with somebody that she met recently, and just knows that she can't continue that, even though she feels like this is somebody that could be very special to her. She just can't, right? And, yeah. and that is, I mean, that's horrible. That that is the fact that Bristow. I mean, we don't know that Bristow could cure her of her gilded lilyness, but the the fact that Bristow doesn't seem to be taking any steps to to mitigate that for her is obviously horrible. Uh yeah, yeah, pretty much. And you look at someone like Bree, who like you remember Ray didn't necessarily think it was a good idea to wake her up for Zed. Yeah. Um, like she presumably would have just ended up being one of these people. Something she like pro- this. Yeah. She probably would have been encouraged to move in here if uh like zed hadn't awakened her i imagine um yeah yeah and it's like i don't know it definitely is and this is one of the reasons why it's so sad to me that there isn't more of a dialogue opened up between avery and clem at the end of this chapter but it definitely is just another lens on the practitioners feel justified using 
the other practitioners, the awakened others as tools, right? And and this is just another example of that. Yeah, let's yeah, and because yeah, let's get there. But it's just like it, it just does feel like to me the the building of the apartments is less to help these people and more to use them. Yep. Um, like I guess we don't know how bad Mister Morrow was before he came here, but it seems yeah, bad true. enough now that I'm defaulting to the assumption that he you know he's not that much better off here yes yeah yeah reserve we'll reserve judgment but you know initial things don't look good for bristow uh, bristow's morality i guess mm. um so yeah clem clem has returned to her apartment and she has to deal with a strange new mummy <laughs> uh i mean yeah the the moment where clem gets her like or where Arlene just pulls out she's like oh also this got returned to you and Clem's just like, I didn't send the fuck. Yeah. Me. No, it's... the postman was very insistent. Oh, <laughs> oh, I see what this is. <laughs> it, it just works so well on you. Like, I, I think, I don't know if Clem had been named as the Gilded Lily outside of the extra material. So maybe this is like a mm. moment. I don't know if it lands as well if you're not reading the extra material, which is technically mm. optional. But like, as someone who does, like, just the moment where it's just like, return to sender. And Clem's like, that's not mine. I was just like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. You'd have to be. A monster to not read that bonus material. It's so good. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, again, talking about all the ways like Clem is just immediately endeared to us, and I feel like everyone by this yeah. point is already Team Clem. Like she, yeah. she goes to not take it, and then realizes that means leaving this thing with Arlene, and so she's like, "Oh no, I'll take it." Which is just like, what a good thing to do after all the shit she's been through. I feel like she could just. I, I wouldn't blame her too much if she was just like, "I'm not." dealing wait i'm not doing this and that's kind of what she does with the carmine beast's body later but yeah um, yeah there's definitely just i was so impressed with uh, after all the bullshit she's gone through in her life she's still thinking about other people and wanting to protect them from it yeah i mean that's on itself good like pretty good but the fact that she survives a 10-hour car ride with sharon makes me think (laughs) she might actually be a saint (laughs) that's a very good point how could when I saw that car ride was 10 hours, I thought, how could anyone put up with that for 10 hours? <laughs> I would die. I would think I would, I think I would die. Um, I think Sharon sleeps with some of it, which is a merciful response. Oh God, yeah, surely. I hope so. Um, um, I also just want to call out the moment where, uh, so Clem brings this package back to her apartment. As you said, it's a mummy. Yes. And so she opens it up and it's this grotesque mummified baby with a tail and, yeah. um, she just sort of looks at it and just says, I do appreciate you being upfront with the fact you're going to be horrible, but I don't think <laughs> I can sell you. Um, which is just like, brilliant. Again, another moment where I was just like, I fucking love Clem. Like that's a Verona tier response to horrible. Meaty <laughs> so things. good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like just so much, so much of this first half of the chapter is just dedicated to making you fall in love with Clem. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I was almost tempted to think Clem's life would be fun until I remembered how many <laughs> horrifying things have happened. Because the idea of collecting, literally being a collector of magical items to me sounds so fun. But then like, oh yeah, like her parents are dead and she can't ever have relationships with anyone because it's just too dangerous for them. Like, yeah, yikes. It Yeah. You're um you're making the mistake of forgetting that this is the other verse. Like if this was mm. another, magic if this was universe, Harry Potter, I'd be so on top of it. Yeah, yeah well, like collecting items would probably be fun enough to be worth it. Not here. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, uh, Clem gets a call from Mr. Bristow, who has a job for her. But Ruben, she's only three days away from retirement. <laughs> Don't joke, Elliot. All right. <laughs> if if Clem dies, we riot. All right. <laughs> I'm wanting you now, Lambo. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think something that comes across here is, and it's interesting, is just how like not aligned with Bristow Clem is. I, yeah. I kind of assumed that the tenants would be more under his thumb, but it really just seems like, I mean, like we kind of talked about when we did the dossiers, whether any of the tenants could be turned against Bristow and a hundred percent Clem. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it, like Drop of a hat. <laughs> actively doesn't like him, actively doesn't like living here. I think she could quite easily be turned to Camp Kennett. I don't know. I, it just... Yeah, oh, I, I guess yeah. it's nice to see. I I completely completely agree. Um, and as well, like talk about this even more, but she does a bit of a Lucy here, and she's like in this negotiation with Bristow, she draws some really hard lines because she just needs these answers. Um, mm. and nobody will give them to her. And and we'll talk about the bit with Avery there, but um, already I was just like, you know, this lady's going to make a great practitioner if she does awaken, because like, and, and Bristow pretty much straight up says he's like you're better at this than like my family. Like I wish they were this smart, which to me implies that he's thought about awakening some of them, but none of them pass his, his test. Yeah. Um, Ouch. <clears throat> so yeah, like I was just, I was so impressed by Clem here on how she's just like, no, you're going to give me the answer uh, and, mm. and sort of negotiates and doesn't cede too much ground. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, we're fully on team Clem here. Um, uh, yeah. There's also this funny bit where uh, she comments on how Mr. Bristow always tries very hard to keep up with technology and trends, um, mm. and that's why they have to screen time here. Uh, and she sort of mentions he, he'd give it his all and then move on to the next thing, forgetting the last. Um, like, earlier this month, he'd been asking another person about VR. Um, and I just, I, you know, this is a... Because I'm still desperate for any Mr. Bristow insights we can get, because we still haven't really seen him directly. Yeah. Um, and this seems interesting, like he's someone who apparently explores all these trends and then just discards them when they're no longer useful, like bodes poorly for the tenants of this apartment complex that he can be so flippant. Mm. Yeah, that you're right. That does bode poorly. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Because like, we know he had his failed school or, or, and everything. Like he just seems like yeah. someone who, uh, he's like a fucking serial uh, founder. Um, you know, he, he, yeah. he's founding all these companies and then just like when it and doesn't work, ditching. leaves everyone in the dust. Yeah, which it does feel like if anything goes wrong with the apartment complex, he's not going to be like, all right, I'll help you guys. He's going to be like, all right, see ya. <laughs> as soon as it starts costing him more to maintain it as, as he's getting yeah. out of it, he'll just leave it in the dust. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> also, we should talk about Clem's new BFF, the baby mummy. Mm. Um, who, when Bristow shows up on screen, says, I'll eat your foreskin. Oh, sorry, no, I should put on a, I'll eat your foreskin and the foreskins of all who follow from your line. And that that is actually Elliot doing that line reading is now available as a ringtone <laughs> if you want to download that from <laughs> doofmedia.com. Uh, text 1-800. Uh, yeah. no, the thing that jumped out to me about that, there's no <laughs> ifs or like mites in that line. This thing straight up declares it is going well, to eat his foreskin. You know what was interesting to me about this? Bristow seems to not be able to hear this thing. Yeah. Or does that so make I, it not count? Well, it makes me think that it's not just like 
you know, a goblin or whatever that's talking to her that she can hear because Bristow, it's not, it's not like the unawakened can't hear it because Bristow can't hear it. Right. Like, Mm. so it makes me think it's actually something that is just kind of causing her to have invasive thoughts, which is not then, but then no, but then it's not that he doesn't hear anything. It's that they're static. So something clearly is happening. I don't know. I do think it's somehow skirting that line though. What if this thing is like snowdrop and it, it, it's saying the opposite and it's actually very friendly. So it's going to not eat her foreskins. <laughs> yep. It's going to give her foreskins and give gifts of foreskins to all who follow from her line. It's I very mean, benevolent. Yeah. It's the benevolent foreskin bringer. Um, <laughs> just what everyone wanted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it does some other things like it does. Like, Cause there's a part where it says Brist- Bristow will pass from the world alone, scared, uh, hurting and ignorant. Um, and also I think looking for his foreskin that he'll never find. Um, I don't know. Interesting. Like, uh, uh, just because they were so declarative, I want to keep these statements in the back of my mind as Bristow, like where Bristow ends up in the story. Like, is this thing telling the truth or Mm. I don't know. I don't want to read too much into the lines of this scary foreskin bringer, but, um, it just stood out to me how declarative all the, all its statements were. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't, that didn't clock for me, but you're right that it's clearly a lie, right? Or, I yeah, don't know. or a, or a bold claim like that's the thing. It's either, yeah. it's either false or this thing means this thing fully and, intends to carry it back. out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see. Uh, yeah. So okay. So uh, Clem uh, goes to her door to. Okay, hold on. Clem goes to her door to find Sharon and Daniel, who are going with her on the trip. Does the door? Does she hear a knock at the door? Or does she just go to open the door for some other reason? It's a bit confusing because uh, she goes to the door straight from being in like the pocket room. She opens up with her bracelet. Yes. Um. <clears throat> so I'm a and little. Then Sharon says that Sharon, she's knocked a few times, right? Yeah. So I'm not quite sure. I don't remember if there's a specific line where she notices it. Uh, it could be one of the responses from the things in her mini warehouse thirteen, like mm. lets her know that someone's nearby. But mm. um, yeah, like it, it. it it's a bit confusing there because she starts to distort space and time in her apartment. So it's hard to know yep. what, what the deal is. What's exactly going on. Yeah. Uh, also, so we sort of want Daniel's coming with, but not with Shelly because Shelly's actually already with Bristow. And I think mm. later on, it's also confirmed that Ted is with Bristow. Mm. So it's a, it's a kind of thing where it sounds like Alexander had exactly right who all the people who were going to be involved were. It's just he, he couldn't mm-hmm. figure out which ones are going to Kennet, which ones are going to the Blue Herons. So presumably yeah. the evil Starry guy is also with Mr. Bristow now. Mm. Um, the evil eye boy. Yeah, which is just, I, I mean, that's so interesting because I can already sort of see the synergy there. Like Shelley is is the more directed uh, and like actually attacking version of Daniel, which is probably what you want against practitioners and the brownies. Mm. Um Ted is a specialist at fighting giant ancient monsters, which is what Durashay can can bring to the fore. Interesting. Uh, Ted, the evil eye guy, uh, kind of matches to uh, the the augurs, like the the Bellingers. In fact, for all we know, it was mm. him who fucking did the shit with the Kenneteers that we're still trying to figure out who did mm. that. It doesn't, mm. doesn't seem. I, I I'd still bet on one of the apprentices turning coat, but um, it could have been. Could have been Evil Eye guy. Could have been the Evil name. Eye. You're right. Anyway, so fun think to think about. I think it's Evil Isaac. Uh, yeah, that'd be it. Um, mm. 
No, uh, yeah. So it's, it's it's just kind of fun to think about the fact that while all this shit's going to be going down in Canada over the next few weeks for us, um, presumably some shit's going down at the school that involves these other three. Mm, mm, interesting. They'll get back and there'll be no classes at all to get back to, is what you're saying. I mean, yeah. I, I'm honestly on the fence right now about whether they'll even make it back to the school, which I'm gutted by. Mm, interesting. Um, so I guess one thing that is... Uh, we were kind of correct about is uh, immediately Sharon is incredibly annoying as soon as she enters Clem's apartment. <laughs> Instantly, we the knew worst. she was going to be, but you know we had a low bar set for her in our heads, and she kind of just flops right under it. Which yeah, impressive, is great. impressive limbo skills. Um, yeah, I, I, I it sold so well. But like the, the second Clem realizes it's Sharon, she's like three months of free rent and a question about magic is not nearly enough for this. Which <laughs> is just, yeah. I like you know, I I I'd put up with a lot for a, a, a clue about magic and three months of free rent. So it's really selling. Like Sharon's the fucking worst. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sold based on this chapter, <laughs> and especially based on uh on her phone. bonus material. Yeah. Anywho, uh, so yeah, and and of course Daniel is there as well, and I think immediately he's very great. Um. I really like him. <laughs> like, it's impossible to not be, and I mean this word in every sense, enchanted by Daniel off the, <laughs> off the bat, right? Yes. Uh, I, I will obviously have a lot more to say about him coming up, um, mm. but he already kind of strikes you in this chapter as just this sort of unstable. Like, I was just drawn in and terrified because I just any moment feels like he could just do something. Um, and you sort of get that right from his introduction here in 5.a mm, mm, yeah yeah you do you get a good picture of him straight away and then obviously it's delivered on next chapter next chapter um, yep so so one last scene before they you know our our new favorite trio heads off um, <laughs> which is as they're leaving uh there's this bit so clem throughout the chapter has been having to straighten this picture in her apartment which always goes crooked which is yes. just that's now the most powerful uh enchanted item i've ever heard of <laughs> that that would that would drive me up the wall but um with sharon around she doesn't have to do it because you know sharon sucks the fun out of life um yep. and it's 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 just so interesting like this beat of like because it ends with clem being like thanks sharon um mm. but it's like but sharon actually did maybe help a little like there's this there's this weird aspect to having sharon around makes things easier but it's just so not worth it because of who she is <laughs> yeah that's the fun thing about it is sharon genuinely seems to have helped with this thing she has at least somewhat temporarily depowered it right mm. like it would um, make sense for clem to hang out with sharon as friends all the time from a kind of i need to stop all these murderous objects yeah angle but yeah. she doesn't do it because sharon is worse than mummified babies that speak about foreskins <laughs> Yep. You you good on you, Sharon. Um yeah. Uh so yeah, the the trio set off and uh get to Kennet with a bang. That's the tire that bangs. I get it. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. <clears throat> I I like how it's not actually sort of ever explicitly stated for us that they have arrived or just just arrived. Like they don't actually I think Clem ever thinks, oh, we're there. It's just mm. this shit happens. And then I think it's like Daniel starts talking about, oh man, this place stinks of blood. And I was like, mm. oh, oh, they're in Canada. Oh, they're here. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, they're already here. <laughs> um, do you think this tire was somebody like one of the others trying to stop them from getting here? Um, 
I it definitely could have been. Um, I mean that sort of makes sense. The the part or the reason that doesn't work for me is because then there's also this car which clearly has parts of Kami's body in it. Um, so I almost just think it's the spirits doing shit to put Clem and Sharon in the right spots. Like maybe Sharon coming within the proximity of this other car, um, which would have been super powerful. Like her nulling that would have just had some big impact, and then Clem being near the watch, like maybe. Maybe it was just an accident. Mm. Just yeah, like all the, or, shit, like, all the shit going karma. on. Karma. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, you know, as much as anything is an accident in this world, which is sort of what Daniel says in his own way. Mm. Um, I think it maybe was just a yeah, the spirits putting people in spots that wants them. Mm. Mm. True, could be. Um, yeah. Should we touch on the fact that this? I the fact that the other car had what is almost certainly Carman Beast fur in it. Yeah. Is too suspicious for this to not be something funky, right? Yeah, well and that's what makes um, me think it wouldn't be the Kenner others that sort of tried yeah, to Yeah, because who would do that and and just have them crash into this car but not want this car to get away? It doesn't really make sense. And the idea that it's a coincidence, it's like, you know, oh John shot the tire, but it was Edith driving the truck or whatever and like that's a coincidence. Like that that seems a bit That's pretty wild, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, this um, car's interesting. So, I, I I read through it. I was trying to figure out whose car this was, and I can't. Well, who even has a car, right? Like Matthew has had a, has a car. We know that, but Matthew's car is described as like a truck, right? And this yeah. seems to not fit that description because it has a a boot. Yeah, exactly. Or like back I, seats, it, or yeah. Matt has a Matt has a Ute. I think he had a small back row, so like maybe it could, could be. be. But it, it's just it would be a bit bizarre to me if this was Matthew's car and it was never mentioned that it had like you know that it was a ute and also like wouldn't you put the fur in in there where there's in the front? space and it's yeah like, you know, yeah yeah and then i mean maybe presumably charles would have a car i don't remember if that's deconfirmed but he's an adult you would expect he would have a car i don't know um, if he'd be look, able to own one like surely the universe would true. break it or something maybe louise we know louise has a car um that guy that louise bumped into who she knew has a car <laughs> remember in her chapter maybe it's that guy's car Oh god, that fuck! What was his name? I do not remember. I want to say yeah. Kevin. <laughs> I was thinking Kevin as well. Okay, right, so either we're both the same role. Um, right. Okay. Well, well, you could that. I'll say the other yeah. clue uh, that we did get mentioned to us were that there were a bunch of chi- teenagers. I think is is the term that's used standing around the car. Yes. Which um, I mean, okay, like the hungry choir is out of the picture, right? Like it can't be the hungry choir. So. What the hell else yeah. in town would come across as a bunch of teenagers to someone who's unaware? Like, would it be? I mean, goblins the is the goblins? obvious guess, right? Again, yeah. a throwback to to uh, Blood Run Cold because that's how Louise saw these goblins. Yeah. Um, by the way, his name was Lincoln. Kevin was not correct. <laughs> okay. I wonder how we um, both got to Kevin then. <laughs> I know. How weird is that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, goblins kind of is the obvious choice there. But I like it can't be the goblins, surely. I mean, they could be involved. Mm. Oh god, get this! You know, you know, there is someone in Pale called Kevin. I just searched the site for Kevin. Uh the the guy, the evil eye guy. His name's Kevin. Oh really? <laughs> there you go. Anyway, fun fact. There um, you go. Yeah. So anyway, so like I, again, this reminded me of in four dot ten, we got those like snippets of audio that uh, Avery started to hear uh, mm. in the ruins, and it was mm. like, I feel like this is almost enough for a clue, but I can't figure it out. Yes. This is the same thing where I'm like, I feel like yeah, this piece is I here, know. but I, I can't be confident. And like that 
it's honestly just from a writing perspective that's very impressive because that would be such a tough line to walk like look at that line of giving us something where it feels substantial but also i'm looking at it like this is this actually gives it's me nothing exactly feels substantial enough to make you know that we're getting closer you know but not substantial enough to give the game away it's 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 great work it's so good yeah that would be that that's a very impressive line to walk um but yeah so i guess we'll find out um yeah you know, you know by the end of the story well i think we'll find out in by the end of this arc i would expect uh yeah where, maybe what's going on with this car and these goblins um anywho uh so yeah uh clem gets out of the car and starts wandering around a bit and starts finding multiple items in a very short span of time <laughs> uh, yes all this concentrated... and they realize kenneth is something special yes uh basically all this concentrated carmine energy with no supervision is not very good yeah um yeah i, I guess my, my question was did this watch sort of become a magical item because clem is nearby or has this yeah. been happening for days or weeks or minutes? Like what? Well, that... Or it was left behind. Like it was left behind by a family, right? Were um, they just traveling through town maybe? Yeah. Or even, you know, that family has been having that picnic for a week. <laughs> and <laughs> because of the watch, it, it just kind of coincidentally ended right when Clem walked up. Yeah. They've actually been there since before the Carmine Beast died. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long picnic. If you go back through, you can see, see references in all the previous chapters to a family having a picnic in the background. I'm just wondering, because I feel like there have been multiple times in this story where it, it did seem like time went past for the Kenneteers slower or faster than they would have liked. Interesting. And now I'm wondering, how paranoid should I be about whether any of that was this watch? <laughs> I don't know. Um, that feels... Or does it? Yeah, that feels like it's not right to or me. Or does it? Or does it? No, you're right. I'm convinced now. You've convinced <laughs> me. Yes, my flawless arguing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Wait, this watch just sort of fat. Or the, the whole concept of Clem and these magical objects just fascinates me because it's like, are they? Do they spring up around her, or do the does the universe just put them in her path? Because um, mm. I could mm. see, I could. Well, yeah. Has this watch been doing this for days now and just fucking with the whole town, and we didn't even notice? Yeah, I wonder. Hard to know um god it must be chaotic being clementine right mm. like the gods are rolling a d20 every day on what weird thing you're gonna come across yeah yeah and i mean i love it how like the second she sort of is like wow this is so many magical pieces of bullshit like i think she finds the carmine beast's body fur isn't she just sort of like nah i already i already have this fucking i already mummy. did mine I'm, today I'm done. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and, and then she finds the watch and yeah. Daniel's sort of like, like, cause and Daniel's like aware he's just not able to really explain himself. And he's yes. just sort of like, oh yeah, this place is making you more you. And she's like, mm. okay, well, if that's true, should we just, should we just fucking bail? Like Bristol be mad, but it's honestly not worth it. If I'm going to find items every couple of minutes and you like, you know, you're also freaking out about this place. Like why, why are we here? Yeah. And this and fucking that's good watch, instinct. <laughs> no, it's good instinct. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were going to head off, but then the watch fucked them um <laughs> which i guess is more of the more of the carmine beasts being missing bullshit right like yeah the, like that's the preceding yeah problems that yeah they were gonna leave and bristow said not on my watch <laughs> anywho um so, so clementine and daniel I, I know i'm changing between clementine and clementine every time it, it's fine it's not bothering me a lot okay good 
Uh, so Clementine and Daniel notice people <laughs> keeping an eye on them, and it is Avery and Snowdrop. Yep, and we 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 start to get even more snippets of how fun Daniel's going to be because he's like, yes. why don't we ask that deer over there? And yep. it's funny because as readers, we're like, oh, Avery's here. Um, yeah, and Clem's and, like, there's a deer? Oh, no, it's just a girl or two girls. Yeah, especially because, uh, like, but Daniel, that poetic poeticism already starts to reveal itself where he's like, she's a bit skittish. We better be careful as we approach, which is like the language you'd use about an actual deer. Yes. Um, so it's just, it's, it's so good. Yeah. <sighs> Very good. Um, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> I really love this bit where <laughs> Snowdrop says, your friend is really making himself at home. Um, and then that just kind of, I didn't really process it on my first read through, but then on the second read through, we know, of course, Daniel disappears at some point in this conversation. And presumably that's what <laughs> Snowdrop is referencing here, that he has just vanished. Um, yeah. Cause I, I don't quite understand some of how this watch works. Um, we'll get there, but, uh, yeah, it, it, you're right. It's always fun seeing Snowdrop from the perspective of someone who doesn't know her gimmick yet. Like, we always get yeah. this little bit of smug enjoyment for from someone not understanding her and us being like, ha-ha, ha-ha, ha mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's always great. Uh, and then, of course, we get this moment that I think we'll, we'll want to discuss for a little bit, which is um, uh, Avery, you know, Clem clearly is kind of reaching out to Avery for help in terms of, Hey, what's going on? Like, can tell me what's going on? I'll get out of your hair. I just need some information. Yeah. It's not even like a condition. She doesn't even make an ultimatum of like, no, oh, she leave doesn't. If you tell me, which would have been very easy and probably very practitionery to do. Yes. Um, yeah, but Clem's a nice person. She's not a practitioner. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, she she's just kind of asking for information, and Avery doesn't give it to her. Um, I do. I really feel like this is a missed opportunity. I just. I don't know. I I get why you shouldn't because you would be taking on responsibility for someone who is clearly in danger of a bit of a sinking ship. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, Clem, but she's a bit <laughs> of a sinking ship, right? Um, but man, I just feel like this whole situation could be resolved so much more quickly. Yeah, it's and cleanly. You, you're right. Like it, it, seeing it from Clem's perspective, I was 100% like, "Oh, Avery, just do it." Like, you know, be a mm. rebel. Um, but you can see, like, from Avery's perspective, she runs up, she meets this woman who she knows is, like, dangerous, and the woman's like, just sort of take permanent responsibility for me in the eyes of the universe. Mm. Of course Avery has to say no. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, like, Clem's whole thing, like, she's she's being bombarded with all this magic shit, and she just wants answers, and nobody will talk to her straight. Um, even the voice, like, the little mummy doesn't actually respond when she speaks to it. It only speaks to her when she's not looking. When she's um, got her back turned, yeah. Yeah, like, she can only hear this voice when it's inconvenient, basically. Um, yes. And, it, and it's just, like, from her perspective, it's just like, why will nobody help her? Like, and they won't even explain why they won't help her. It's yeah. It's so frustrating. I bet there's a way to, I don't know, I just, there must be a way to to take some kind of action without taking responsibility for Clem, you know? Well, this is where Breek comes into it for me because the, the whole thing is is if clem was a, awakened she could presumably handle this shit so much better she'd have the sight she'd be able to identify mm. which it's freaky like she she would know what she'd to be able do to learn she she could like do some defensive warding stuff around things totally yeah like, like it, it feels like if you awakened her she'd just do a, her fortunes 
have the potential to do a complete 180. Like it's maybe just a bit of a gamble. She'll either fizzle out and explode or she'll absolutely thrive. And yeah. nobody's willing to take that chance with her. Nobody wants um, to gamble on her. Yeah. Whereas like Bree, you know, was in a relationship with Zed, so she got that chance. Um, yeah. Bree's kind of similar. Yeah. I I even wonder. There must be. I, I feel like there must be some way to, to solve this. I don't know. Yeah, and I think I, that we will see it. I think we will see the trio take on Clem and and do something to help her. I absolutely already have my heart set on us doing like the Nicolette maneuver. And even mm. if the relationship starts out a bit rocky, everyone's going to forgive each other and she'll be best friends like Nicolette yep. soon. Yep. Um, yep, yep, that's, yep. That's, that's where I'm, I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um, okay. So next up, uh, this chapter ends with, Clem realizing that time has passed very quickly and all of a sudden she's alone and she kind of quickly runs off to find the rest of her group before they get into too much trouble. It's it's so hilarious how just instantly this has all gone to shit. Like if mm. if I if I wasn't willing to just blame the Carmine Beast like energy residue, um I'd almost think Bristow was either some sort of brilliant auger or it like stirred the pot before they came. Mm. Uh cuz it's just like it's been depending on your point of reference five minutes and this has just already gone completely to shit yeah i yeah i was kind of thinking about this i was thinking about what's going on here because like the vibe that clem gives off during this chapter is she's the sane one of this group right like she's the one who clearly has her head on straight um and i you just know immediately that Daniel and Sharon are going to go off and get into trouble by themselves, right? And that yeah. clearly seems to be what's happening. And so I kind of get, like, Bristow sent them because they would be perfect to kind of just disrupt whatever was going on here. Um, but why is Clem here? Why Why did Bristow send someone explicitly to, with the idea of... Because I don't believe that Bristow didn't know this was what was going to happen. Why did Bristow send someone explicitly who would kind of be a mitigating factor and and keep them away from from trouble right like if the watch thing hadn't happened it's possible that clem would have had a conversation with avery realized how funky things were here and immediately turned around and gone home (laughs) um yeah i think i think this is bristow uh being okay with either way because daniel does mention that this is not the place that bristow thought and in fact, later mm. on in Sharon's bit, we actually learned that Daniel was given a mission here by Bristow, which I think yes. is hilarious because Daniel never thinks about that in his chapter. Um, yeah. But like if, so there's sort of two scenarios, right? Like if, if Bristow had no idea that this place was a bit of a like um, hot pot of, of crazy shit, mm. then that just means Clem is going to watch Daniel and like kind of take care of him and and maybe stir up a bit of shit but maybe she can handle it and handle daniel and daniel mm. just has to do his mission yeah. whereas what happens is you know they arrive and the shit hits the fan but like if if this place is that powerful and and crazy that's also what bristow wants so i think it's maybe just a group that's designed for okay if it's not that crazy then sharon can look around and daniel can do whatever he has to do and clem will yeah. keep them under control if it is crazy powerful shit then the combination of the three of them will cause it to explode so it's like he yeah he was prepared for either situation i guess the thing that doesn't quite click for me yet and why i think there's something else going on is brisso was clearly insistent that it had to be clem like something about clem's gilded liliness is the perfect fit for what's going on here 
and that doesn't quite seem to track for me yet. Like, I don't know, unless there's literally no one else that is able to keep a rein on Daniel and Sharon, but that seems unlikely to me. I, I don't I'd know. Be, I'd be willing to believe that. I mean, I imagine he's already got Ted and Shelley with him, who I assume would be the two best candidates yeah, true. for that. Um, so I'd be willing to believe Clem is sort of the third most person you can count on in this wacky menagerie of crazy like powers that he has. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe there's an oil who's got their head screwed on quite as much as Clem seems to. And she seems to have a friendship-ish with Daniel. Like they've got a rapport yes. and like he respects her. So Yes, he clearly listens to her. Where yeah. you can see he's the kind of person who wouldn't listen to a lot of people. Exactly. Okay, fair enough. Um speaking of Daniel, our next chapter is in his perspective. Woo. Uh which starts with him getting his version of what happened with the watch, where he basically just kind of watches Clem as she gets caught in a different time bubble and tries to stick around for a while before getting distracted. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he is sort of like, I am super patient now, but I can yeah. just duck off for a minute. Like, yeah, I know. So patient. Fine. So patient. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I This is just what a perspective this is. It's great, isn't it? Immediately. I mean, I used the word before and I use it again. It, reading his prose here, he's just enchanting. Like, it's wonderful to read how he thinks. You just get all this depth of emotion and beauty that so perfectly is conveyed by his point of view. It's it's, it's just great. Yeah, the, the prose in this chapter is just so poetic. Um, yeah. He, he flows from thought to thought in these really fluid ways. Like, if you'd asked me how a fairy thinks, this, this would have sort of been what I pictured. I just wouldn't have been able to capture it this well um mm. yeah i mean this whole like the whole chapter i mean just to say it here because otherwise i'm going to want to say it like every five minutes he's just constantly yearning for this better world that he had experienced and he's just wallowing in the sadness of how bad he perceives existence as now like it's just tragic um tragic is my word of the chapter i, I feel like i'm going to end up saying it a dozen times um he's stuck longing for this impossibly perfect time in his past and it, it you know, it feels like everything is subdued and colored gray here. Well, no, actually, it's worse because it like he describes it as a sandstorm tearing him apart. Um, mm. It just sucks. Like every time he starts to find rhythm and sing well, he trips over his legs because he forgets he's an adult, or uh, like you know whatever. Like he he just can't find peace in the world here. Like he's just been broken by the fairy. Mm. Yeah, he's it's sad. Like he, you really get the tragedy in his story from this right and we'll get to the stuff when he's with Guillermet later but god it's depressing yeah exactly um so daniel makes reference to a place a place where he was called Aulwazer tamir and i looked this up i didn't really get much um tamir is italian for the verb for to fear but also Aulwazer is clearly not italian uh, like fairy always have had implications of like Gaelic and Irish stuff to me, but that didn't really bring anything up. It seems kind of vaguely, I don't know, like Arabic type of language. Um, but I'm not, I, I I didn't really get anywhere with this. So if, if you got anything earlier or if our listeners got anything posted in the comments, but I, I, I couldn't find exactly what this meant. Yeah. Like uh, if you type into Google translate, of course, mm-hmm. all professions do mm-hmm. uh, the Wazir part of the of the first word like that is Arabic for secret, um, okay. but I I I did a much deeper and probably wronger 
dive into this um stuff. Wait, so okay, my current theory is basically um uh, Aula, so like A U L A in repetition, mm. is Latin is the Latin word for like court in the very like fairy mm. sense of like uh like an like similar a, to like a, a group palace a gathering yeah, yeah or similar to like a palace or a dance hall or something like the, the very yeah. like uh medieval concept of a court um and then temere is is also sort of latin for it's like an a, uh, an adjective to like or to do something randomly or inconsiderately mm. um which and it comes from this pre-latin word which means darkness as well so anyway um mm. my theory was basically that like aulas temere could sort of translates to like the court of no consideration or the hall of no consideration which kind of mm. lines up with daniel's backstory if he was just stuck mm. there for the fairy to fuck with him and i could get into a mess of talking about latin grammar and why that w is in there and why the r is in there like it, it always to do i think with pronunciations like in ancient latin uh s's were less of like an s and more of like a zero sound like it was a more mm. a bit more of a guttural like z adjacent sound mm. so it could be that like daniel is slightly misremembering and mispronouncing this latin term um like mm. if he'd only ever heard it and didn't know what it was meant like you know it's a bit weird because we're getting this through the written text but if he's only ever heard it maybe he's just saying it kind of phonetically in his english understanding mm. and him slightly mispronouncing or misremembering something like that i think fits in with this whole vibe he has of trying uh, you know he's constantly wallowing in the fact that he he's not as good as he used to be like he's he was much more beautiful and he could sing better when he was drowned in the glamour and he can't do that now and mm. so that's that's my justification for why he's misspelling um this word for courts okay i can see that so a kind of dark court without consideration yeah yeah which kind of fits with he was like with dark spring or something yeah made, made to sing for no reason kind of fair enough i can see it um so yeah uh daniel goes off as he's distracted he kind of seems like he's going off to find the two fairy that he notices are in this town and as he goes he pied pipes and picks up a small group of followers <laughs> first a mouse then a bird then a young girl i love yeah the escalate it just keeps getting worse and worse like as it goes on it's like this adventure you know isn't going to be fun and it just keeps escalating yeah Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how Daniel operates here, right? He he kind of picks up a gaggle of followers, and it's wild that some of them, as he goes, he collects followers, and some of them seem to be following kind of just to protect or look after the others. It's this very precarious arrangement where it feels like if one person even walks too quickly or too slowly, they'll break the whole chain of like, oh, I'm going to come and make sure this little girl's okay, or I'm going to stop you from abducting that little girl, but never quite catch up to you. And it's just like piling up over time. And it like it's so engrossing because it feels to me, and therefore to the spirits, like it's just this house of cards that is precariously balanced off of his song. And one false little step could, you know, send it all toppling to the ground. It's very fairy-esque in how it feels like he's manipulating and, and you know, puppeteering all these mm. strings to mm. get people exactly where he wants them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it's captivating. Like, the magic tricks he starts doing where he turns a mouse into a bird, kind of, um, just because he's desperate to try and recapture the magic of, of the courts. Like, it's just... I Yeah, I mean, this whole segment, I, I it, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's very good. Um, so, yeah, he, he kind of continues going along, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, the Pied Piper vibes here are really off the charts. So he does this thing where he turns a bird uh, into a mouse, or he kind of pretends to turn a bird into a... Sorry, yeah. a mouse into a bird? Bird into a mouse? I can't remember now. I think I might yeah. have got it wrong. Anyway, anyway yeah. Uh, he kind of is thinking through it and he describes how it's done. Like we're seeing how it's done, but it's still very enthralled, like 100% part of we're getting swept up in his whole vibe, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I was enjoying this as much as every other line. I was like, oh God, this is terrible. But I couldn't, like, I couldn't tear my exactly. eyes Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also love when he, he goes into this general store, he says to the girl to counter, it's a babysitting arrangement, which... I mean, that's such a fairy thing to say, right? Because, of course, he later clarifies, oh, no, she's the one babysitting me, which is such a great, um, like, half-truth that even though he's not, he's obviously not a fairy, he kind of talks and acts like one, even though he th- probably, presumably can lie, he, he just kind of does fairy half-truths instead. Yeah, like, I, I think there's a point where he sort of, like, because he can lie, because I think there's a point where he says to the young girl, oh, I promise no harm will come to you, and then it becomes clear later he definitely thinks there will be harm caused to Yes. Because uh, he's bringing her as, like, an offering. Um, yeah, he says another one later where he says, oh, if I go with you, my sister will warn me, but she'll be okay. And that is almost certainly a lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, actually, I, I would argue that. Let's let's get there. I, okay. I, I want to argue against that. But, um, yeah, you're right. Like, he, he's, he's this sort of... I mean, well, what was the term snowdrop introduced us to? It's fairy-esque. Like, he's this fairy cross-human where he's taken on, like, you know, their way of thinking in his head. Like, I, well, I, we sort of skipped over how right at the start of the chapter, he's like, oh, I don't really tell time using numbers. It's all, like, the clouds and the imagery. Like, he, he's so lost in his imagination and, and the, the love of story. So he, he's got this, like, fairy aspect to him, but there's these moments where he does sort of have to lie or you know, where he interacts with the goblin in a bit, where he's still a human, and that's what mm. upsets him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He's fascinating. I, I find him just a very fascinating character. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I might just, uh, to beat the drum a little bit again, just the all the pros in this, it's phenomenal. The way he describes everything and everyone. Uh, like, there's a bit where he's walking through the creek, and he's like, this creek water is disgusting because it's, you know, got pollutants from the nearby stuff. Like, he's so sensitive to that stuff like you know usually creek water is is either like fully gross or um like you know very clean and clear and i get the impression a normal person would say this is clean and clear water but he's like no i can taste the plastic from a mile away mm. Mm. yeah he's got great uh great senses i guess yeah he yeah he just seems to be able to he just has this otherworldliness about him right yeah like yeah. So much so that if we met him and didn't know, I wouldn't have said he was a human. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I would, I would have I would said, oh, he he's like a, a fairy or whatever. Or like a, a f- someone halfway through the process of turning into a fairy. Which actually, yeah. for all we know, he I mean, maybe is. he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he kind of picks up this girl who's working at the general store and kind of continues on gathering his gaggle. <laughs> um, and finally, an old man notices something strange going on and, and moves to stop Daniel from abducting this girl but just never quite manages to do it. Yeah, in fact, the poor old guy gets dragged into the whole mess, really. Um, yep. Although he does seem to be a bit more immune to Daniel. Like, Daniel doesn't seem to even really try to manipulate this guy in the same way. Like, I wonder if, like, him being old and crotchety puts him closer to someone like Sharon, where he's harder to manipulate with magic, or whether it's just this was too many people for Daniel. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, the, yeah, I, it's. Um, I wonder if he is immune to it though, because it's like he seems to put up as much of a resistance as the girl behind the counter does, or maybe slightly more so, but still seems to go exactly where Daniel wants him to go. So it's kind of like I, it kind of leads into this feeling of like it's not. He thinks that he's stopping it, but he's he's just become a part of it you know yeah 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 like yeah it's hard like daniel just doesn't really think in a way where he explicitly talks about his intentions because he's kind of detached from them himself so Mm. it's hard to know exactly what daniel thought of this guy Mm. yeah true yeah i wonder what was going through his head um there's there's a huge gap between him starting to abduct the girl and us realizing that like he fully intends harm for her yes yeah there's no malice to his thoughts early on he's just sort of like oh yeah yeah, i'll show you magic and you're sort of concerned and then later on it's like oh this was his plan all along Um, yeah but we didn't know that because he didn't really think i mean he doesn't even really think about it i mean he barely thinks about it even when even with guillermet like yeah yeah um so yeah daniel leads his uh his merry band of followers down to the river and to a cave molded by fairy uh he begins to enter beckoning and kind of finds a weapon yeah, and this is where he starts to become, like, the bad guy, like a bit of a monster, because mm. he's so desperate for another hit of glamour. Like, it's pretty clear he will do anything or betray anyone. Like, this is the sort of point where he's like, yeah, I've pretty much kidnapped this girl for my own purposes of getting another hit of glamour. Like, she's, you know, he's willing to sort of put her through stuff um, mm. for that. Like, I don't, this is where I started to be like, Daniel, you're not, like, this is not good. Yeah. Um, and then there's a bit where a goblin comes in and ruins his song, and it's the best thing ever. And I'll <laughs> I'll, re- I'll I'll do a little performance of it for you. Farts, 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 pickles and tarts, messy shits, droopy tits, wooden nickels, and more farts. And that's also available as a ringtone if you want. Uh, just call one eight hundred. Yeah, God, I just love the goblins. This is just so good. Like it's just. It's just a goblin singing a shitty song to fuck with him. And I was cackling as I was reading it. Uh, yeah, I was I was the same. Because it, it's just, it's the perfect time to put a goblin in doing something like this because we've been in this flowery, poetic yeah. uh, point of view for a couple of thousand words and you're sort of in amongst it and you're waiting for this beautiful song that Daniel can sing when the stars align. And then we yep. just get like farts, farts and shit. Um, like it's it's great. So good. Uh I was all, ah. I was also kind of shocked it didn't work. Like, um, you know, we, we've sort of learned that these ugly truths of goblins um, are usually a bit of a counter for the, you know, the glamorous stories of the fairy. Um, but Dan is not quite there yet. This is kind of like, you know, this goblin trying to hurt him. It's like, it doesn't work. And that's almost like the worst thing for Daniel is that it's like the fact that this isn't working is kind of like, mm. you know, exactly like this is what he wants. He wants it to be so drowned in the glamour that this should have more of an effect on him, but he's stuck in this terrible world uh, that isn't as good as the glamour, so he he isn't as affected by it. Yeah, it was interesting to me thinking about and trying to figure out just how powerful is Daniel here? Like, because he... I, I never quite was able to put my finger on how much of a threat is he? Is it just that he is a glamour drowned that makes him so threatening to Guillermet, for example? um yeah because well because this isn't usually a world that works on straight up like power levels it kind of yes but like you know it's sort of like daniel i think 
there are certainly things that would just wipe the floor with him. Whereas I, I feel like for Fairy, he, he's particularly dangerous because he can kind of operate on their level, but he's also immune to some of these weaknesses. So, mm. so like, you know, we see how he unravels a bunch of plans of the Fairy in a bit. So he's clearly a, a Fairy specialist, but um, you could see he, he has the ability to str- string something like a Goblin along too. Um, but be be immune from how they would normally counteract the fairy. So he's kind of this mm-hmm. best of both worlds, um, where he can operate a bit like a fairy, but also um, be immune from their weaknesses. What he's missing mm. is the ability to make his own glamour. Well, yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. But even the fact that he so effectively is able to work his song around the goblin song feels powerful to me, right? It feels like, yeah. oh, shit, this guy's, you know, he's good at what he does. Well, yeah, that's like that's his advantage of being a bit closer to the middle, and like he probably hates mm. that, but like not mm. being far enough along that that breaks him. But that um, really breaks him. Yeah, he, you know, as a human with fairy tendencies, he's got some of the strengths and none of the weaknesses, and that makes him quite powerful in certain situations. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, next up, we get uh, Gillamay showing up. Uh, Gillamay comes to deal with the intruder himself, sending the goblin to you know fetch help. Um, Daniel wanted this. Daniel asks Gillamay, you know, to be taken back in as a slave, which is all he seems to want. Yep. And he becomes quite upset when Gillamay refuses to do that. Oh, man. Like, this is just, you know, we've talked about, I, I think I've used the word tragic a bunch already, but like, this yep. is this is the ultimate sort of tragedy moment is Daniel very poetically offers himself to Gillamay, like, very completely. And Gillamay just isn't having any of it. Which, good job, Gillamay. I mean, it would have been pretty easy to just take Daniel in as a slave. And, I mean, yeah. But just like... Because well, there's, there's an argument for that being the merciful decision. And that's sort of right, the discussion Right, exactly right. Like, I mean, he could even take him in as a slave and say, okay, your order is now to go and live a happy life. <laughs> or whatever, you know. I mean, I guess that yeah. wouldn't be following the the spirit of the agreement. But Since when does that matter? Um, yeah. Yeah, like, like, so there's this added tragedy to it all where, like, Daniel's sort of like, I don't, I want you to take me in. He's in, in part because he's like, he wants to free everyone else of him as he is now. Like, he's like, I'm just a burden for Shelly, mm. for everyone. Mm. Like, like, anyone who you say, oh, they're going to miss me. He's like, yeah, well, like, they'll get over it. And I'm more of a burden this way. Like, you know, he's just in such a dark place that, um, He's like, this. the sadness that I inflict on them by having to keep me around is worse than how much they'll mourn for me. Um, mm. And yeah, like that's sort of, you know, that's this part of this argument for maybe it isn't the worst idea to just drown him in glamour again. Um, I, I, I still feel like it is, but you can see, especially from Daniel's perspective, why he doesn't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's tragic. Um. I think another tragic thing that we learn from Daniel here is uh, it seems that Gillamay is almost done being a high summer fae. He only has a few stories to play out before he falls to winter, uh, which I don't know. We don't know exactly how long that is, but it's not long. I mean, maybe a thousand years or so at most, but I don't know. Yeah, which apparently for fairies, not not long. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, all those predictions about uh Gillamay, the the wise old mentor starting to look pretty good right now mm-hmm. yeah um yeah like yeah we don't know how many it seems like daniel thinks that Gillamay has two tasks left in this conversation we don't know that for sure um 
I mean, it could be more, but it also could be less. Perhaps Gilliman only had yeah. one task. This I mean, letter. Marisica, Marisica does her laugh after the two, which like I, I think is meant to imply to us that that's the correct number. Right. Um, but if one of them was this note, maybe the other one is setting the Kenneteers up, so he's still got I that mean, one. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, or maybe just kind of Kennet as a whole. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, true. Could be like we don't know how broad a story is, but um, yeah. I mean, congrats to a bird who seemed to pretty well predict like everything that's been confirmed so far about like you know Gilame being just about ready to fall into the winter court. Um, mm. yeah. I mean, like, it's going to be fascinating now because the dominoes have all sort of been scattered by this note uh, being taken by Daniel. Yeah, yeah, God. So yeah, Daniel attacks and Guillaume is struck in the heart, which pierces the letter that he kept there, and that kind of puts a stop right in uh, Guillaume's plot before it had time to gestate. And this letter, I mean, okay, this is wild, right? Because uh, we don't know exactly what the ramifications are going to be, but at the very least... It seems like Guillaume and Marisica's entire relationship and dynamic is built around this plot. And the fact that it's just been, you know, stabbed in the heart, I mean, that, presumably that's going to change their whole dynamic at the very least. I mean, yeah, this is, this. my impression of this is this has completely flipped the table on everything Guillaume and Marisica had interweaving with each other, which just feels like is, is probably a lot of things in the town. So like this just feels like yeah like the table's been flipped and the, this this might be one of the things that leads to the most chaos in town. Forget Clem and her collection of crazy shit. Forget whatever the fuck Sharon's up to. Like yeah, this is the one I'm the most worried about because these two being completely separated from everything they had cooking just means they're going to go into overdrive trying to compete with each other again or, mm. or something. Uh, mm. and that that seems bad. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's it, yeah exactly. Um, luckily, reinforcements show up before things continue to decline. It's Lucy and John, and they of course that's when they start blasting. And <laughs> Daniel quickly whisks himself away with Lucy and John in hot pursuit. Yeah, I mean, you know, basically Daniel here outdoes like Neo. Like, why dodge the bullets when you can just sort of glamour them away? It's it's insane. Like he just sort of makes the bullets not hurt uh, or just like land on the ground with glamour. Um, mm. is the coolest shit. Uh, it's just like this magic powder of if you know how to use it, it can do whatever. Um, I, I love seeing Lucy through Daniel's eyes as well. Mm. Like, like he seems to have a sort of sight or some level of sight. Um, and he notices her hair, which is always cool. Like he, he sort of comments on how striking her hair is, I think is the word he uses. Um, and I thought it was funny as well. Cause by, by contrast, he sort of looks at John and he's like, Oh, what a slob. Um, and it's like, you know, John, we associate a bit with, the gobbos like he's he's a bit more on the gobliny side of things whereas uh lucy's a bit more on the fairy side so it's just funny how like that perception comes through in Daniel's <laughs> description. <of laughs> yeah yeah uh good times um i don't know how to feel about this right like i like daniel i still do like him he's kind of a child right like he 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 feels like he is has has had some kind of stunted development and it just I'm just unhappy that he is messing with Guillaume, who is one of my favorite of the Kennet others. Yeah, I, like I, the the metaphor I've been using in my head has been like him as is like a bit of a recovering addict, mm. like someone who is yeah, you know, sort of came close to ODing or something, and is now just like struggling to sort of push through life. Um, you know, now that the 
levels of all, all his neural hormones and stuff are, are just a bit off because I, I believe that that's what's happened that's what happens to people in mm. that situation so it's just like it's strategy because yeah like you just see him as someone who's just desperate and he just needs like you're right he he's not sort of neurotypical anymore um because of this and he's just desperate and struggling and and you can't really blame him for trying to find a way back to some sort of happiness basically mm, yeah i don't know yeah it's just sad it's just tragic yeah i was and my you know if we're if we're talking about him as a as an addict to glamour like you know i think it'd be interesting to see how avery's going because he, he commented on mm. how she was glittering like yeah what what is what is avery's trajectory as as you know if this is reinforcing the glamour as a as a drug metaphor or as an so addictive if, drug if avery is roughly you know if we've got the evil trio here avery is the uh you know the daniel i think you mentioned that verona was uh kind of had similar vibes to clem sometimes does that make lucy the sharon well they're kind of antitheses of each other right like lucy <laughs> is lucy is the anti-sharon Verona mm. is the anti-Clem. Like Verona is chasing the magic. She's chasing becoming less human. Clem is mm. desperately trying to hold on to the the normal life she can keep. Mm, and um, I like that. And then a like Daniel is someone who's drowned and, and become completely disconnected. And Avery is someone who's um trying not to do that again. Mm. Mm. Good stuff. Um okay, so uh now that's the end of that chapter. Next up, of course, we get into five b's extra material phone conversations which is uh, <laughs> from sharon's perspective she basically has a few text conversations as she starts digging into kennett and recording some footage yep so as we already said great way to sidestep actually having to do a sharon interlude because mm-hmm. thank you thank you wabo for not making me need to read thousands of words twice uh in sharon's <laughs> perspective yep thank god um Sharon is the worst, obviously. This chapter tries to gives gives a solid attempt to make me feel a bit sorry for her, but it never quite gets there. <laughs> uh yeah. I although interestingly, um, one of her first conversations we see is with Bristow. And I mm. won't bring this up because it, it doesn't really do anything to make Sharon look good one way or the other, but it definitely makes Bristow come across as more of a piece of shit. Like he's sort mm. of he's paying her, he's helping her get connections, like he's he's whatever the level above enabling is like actively helping. Um, mm. And then he's just sort of like, yeah, leave Daniel to Clem. That's kind of why she's there. Like Daniel can do weird shit and Clem can babysit her. Like it's just, he's such, such a dick. Mm. Yeah. He really is a jerk, isn't he? Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of Mr. Bristow. <laughs> um, also the, the other conversation, I think it's right after this is she starts to have this conversation with like another person who makes videos and she's kind of tearing them apart for not being scientific, um, which is funny because it initially jumped out to me. It's like, well, yeah, you should follow the scientific method. I'm all for the scientific. Um, but then I was like, actually, but to be fair, in this world, that's not like, you know, to to strictly assume it all has to be scientific is just straight up wrong in this world. And I love this for as maybe a bit of a metaphor for how certain groups will claim that their stuff is very scientific but it's like if you lock yourself into thinking these are the rules and the limits of of logic or science or whatever and you just go ignoring other evidence like you don't actually follow the scientific method anymore like that's sort of what sharon is doing in this world Mm. yeah it's weird isn't it it's 
<laughs> I don't like, know. Like again, I'd compare it to maybe like flat earthers who are sort of like Yes, it is. It's that it's that yeah. kind of bastardization of science and yeah. that thing that where you feel like, well, I've got the science on my side and therefore I don't need to pay attention to anything. You yeah, know? exactly. Um it, it was just funny though that it took like talking about that in a like book series with magic for me to sort of have that click where it was like, oh no, like that's that's sort of the whole point is like strictly s- saying this is science and and having a a, a wrong or limited as- uh, idea of what science is kind of leads you to actually missing some of the stuff that's real. Mm. Um, and I mean, I think that as well, if you extend the metaphor, like if if the spirits and everything in this world, you know, that this world is powered by meaning and um sort of significance, right? And so what's funny is like Sharon is someone who is a power nullifier. She literally sucks the meaning out of life as she goes around. <laughs> like, like the, the spirits have less power. She's like she literally just sucks the meaning out of life. I think I think that that's so cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I there's this bit where Sharon we see part of her text conversation with uh, what seems to be a boyfriend that clearly goes oh, south. No, sorry, I th- oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. Um, Sharon represents this later by saying that Dickless Betrayer tried to give me shit for knowing more about his friend's culture than she does, which is clearly not what happened. Clearly what <laughs> happened was uh, Sharon, you know, it's implied that Sharon had a conversation with this friend and did a thing where she tried to explain somebody's religious beliefs back to them, right? Yep. Um, which is a textbook narcissistic <laughs> shitty thing to do. And of course, Sharon has interpreted it as no, no, just because I knew things and was trying to generously share information, I had it thrown back in my face. Yeah, I mean, poor Sharon. She's just, you know, she's misunderstood. I know. She's, it, she's innocent in all this. I mean, people just manipulating what she said, mm-hmm. and taking it out of context. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, yeah, no, you're right. It's so clearly that she fucking mansplained someone's culture at them and yep. somehow they're the baddies. Um, Oh, Sharon, <laughs> you're a piece of shit. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, the other thing that happens is Sharon reveals that she's been messing with their, I can't remember his name, but they're, I think, a biology teacher who has the YouTube channel. Yeah, the, um, the woodworking one. Yes, who kind of reveals that or, or kind of realizes that the records he's been keeping about students don't quite add up, which I first interpreted as being Sharon kind of disabling protections that, that the trio had put up in place to, to make them not be noticed while they were absent. But uh, I, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's the, the hungry choir's uh, abductions, right, or, you know, f- feeding on people. Yeah. Is it Mr. Lai? Sorry. I, I, yes, I think that's right. I'm just trying to remember. Uh, and yes. ironically, he always tells the truth. Hey. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting, like, Sharon is maybe stumbling onto some of the disappearances around the Hungry Choir stuff, which is, again, shows how fundamentally she can disrupt the universe. That's sort of been the default for weeks, and she's just sort of unraveling it uh, just by her presence. And what's funny is Bristow, again, has been pointing her in Alexander's direction. Like, she will try and connect dots to make this Alexander's fault, maybe, which Mm. I just thought was hilarious, because, like, Alexander taking the fall for the Hungry Choir, like, it's not the worst outcome that i can picture mm. it's not his fault but it's you know if people are taking falls for stuff he's not not on my <laughs> list of people <laughs> i feel <sighs> terrible saying this but like yeah I, it's just again I'm like, it would have the, a nice kind of karmic 
twist to it, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, not to enable Sharon at all, but, like, you get just her producing a video that took down someone like Alexander is something I'd be, like, morbidly curious to see. Mm. <sighs> yeah, good times. Um, so... Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, the other thing while we're mentioning Alexander is Sharon clearly goes around taking down, like, goblin wards and stuff like that, um, making Kennet more exposed, which potentially is an opportunity for Alexander to make some kind of play. I, I don't know. I think I may be being a bit paranoid on that one, but... I, I don't think he could, but it certainly feels like it's leaving them open. Um, True. Just, I, I had this read of this bit, because what happens is she finds a few of these wards, and then... If you read it carefully, she actually then goes into a place which is just absolutely, she sort of says, covered in bodies and skeletons and stuff. And I, my first thought on reading that was that it was the Carmine, like part of the Carmine Beast's body again. Mm. Um, just because like the goblins don't strike me as organized enough to have a big workshop like this. Right. So, right. yeah, my thought was like, has she just stumbled on a big part? Like, so she, I think she focuses on bones and stuff. So, you know, obviously the Carmine Beast fur is something we've talked about a lot, but is this, is this you know, the body that was de-skinned? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Like, again, like so much going, like Clem, Clem's causing time shit around town. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel's just set the fairies off on the town and Clem, uh, sorry, and Sharon has maybe just stumbled upon the fucking Carmine Beast's remains. Um, yeah. Which, you know, if they had a goblin ward, suggests one of the gobos is, is helping yeah um, yeah we'll see gosh doesn't look good <laughs> i guess we'll have to see how it goes next chapter i have no idea do you reckon we'll go back to the kennedy's next or are we going to get more interludes i don't know maybe we don't ever go back to the kennedy's and from now on these are our <laughs> perspective characters <laughs> oh yeah that seems likely yeah um, i don't know i don't know. i think so i think we'll go back to the kennedy's next. I, I, yeah maybe. i think we'll maybe. go to verona next because she's the one we haven't seen in this time yet that's a good point. And presumably... She's you know, got she's things got, going on with her dad. Yeah. Yes, she's got a lot going on. Um, yeah. I wonder Like, I wonder if we'll maybe get, at the end of this arc, some more interludes from the perspective of the ones with Bristow. I, I could see all this shit going down in Kennet as the Kennetiers and the Kennet others fight these three we've just had uh, perspectives of. And then mm -hmm. sort of like, as soon as that starts to get resolved, we jump over and see that like Bristow is causing a ruckus over at the Blue Heron Institute. Yeah oh god it's gonna i can feel the shit starting to hit the fan i guess <sighs> we'll see yeah we'll see um but enough of our predictions elliot let's find out what our community has predicted as we dive into responses left in our pale predictor app uh yes so i brought a prediction from i'm easily impressed uh mm -hmm. who says that Nicolette had mentioned visiting two people at the Bristow apartment complex. Uh, we've already established that one is that guy she took the, um, you know, craziness blood from. Um, the only other person she's mentioned visiting in the story was during that negotiation where she mentioned visiting her grandma. Right. Uh, so I'm easily impressed as uh, guessed that the other person Nicolette has in Bristow's apartment complex is her grandma. Um, hmm. Which is just nuts, and I'm kind of here for it. Like, that's just a weird twist, and would maybe suggest why Nicolette would be swayable to Bristow's. Oh, interesting. Maybe Nicolette is the mole. Yeah, did she come? Oh, wait, no, we she already wasn't... heard. Yeah, no, yeah, she, she does, already right? said that she wasn't. Yeah. Still, though, like, you know, she may not She may not have been the mole who did that, but. True. You know, Bristow's not limited to one mole. It's not one mole per, per enemy. One mole per teacher. 
yeah, that's not a policy that we've heard of at the school for sure, but it, you know, <laughs> never know. Uh, what um, about you? <laughs> I brought a prediction from a user called Vice Versailles. Uh, it's a long one. Uh, I- I'll give you the gist, which is Verona was aware slightly before she was awakened, which is backed up by the fact that she hints at having kind of imagined or seen Lucy's hair being pink before she was ever awakened. So something made her aware partially. And the uh, vice versa expands on this and says that it is probably something to do with Verona's mother or Verona's father, Verona's mother possibly being a practitioner and that causing the rift in their relationship. And of course, I'm not one to shy away from a good secret practitioner theory. And I love the (laughs) fact that Verona could have already been partially aware, which is quite a nice pickup. I think it works quite well. Mm. I'm not fully on board with everything that vice versa says, but I do like a lot of it. So I'm 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 keen on this. I'm keen on some of this stuff. Oh, I'm I'm pretty adamant that Verona's mum is not going to be a practitioner, but um how dare you? I do I do like because you know I think we've had it said that the Kennetiers were in part chosen because they were maybe already slipping into otherhood. Um yep. And you know like we know the state Verona has been in since the start of the story, so I absolutely believe it. Um I I've mm. heard other people theorize that Lucy's pink hair is an effect or you know where it sits on the cause and effect like is it because verona had always pictured her like that 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 is in part why the spirits chose it mm. um because they work together like you know that maybe the pink hair goes the other way but um mm. i could definitely buy verona having been open to some of the magic in the world just from being partially a bit other or a bit aware already mm. yeah yeah i i could be caught co- it could be that her hair was already, you know, or, you know, Verona had seen her hair as pink and that's what made it kind of that reality. I don't know. I don't, that doesn't track for me. I feel like there's something more going on. I, I would, I, I don't know. It, it's enough for me. And like, I would think if Verona was already slightly aware, uh, like Vice Versailles said, I would almost just believe it was just because of the state she was in. Like there's no, mm. there didn't need there's to be magic yeah. involved in her backstory for me to believe that. Like, yeah, Al- like kind of an Alpi in progress situation. Yes, I guess there didn't need to be magic in her backstory, but the fact that the pink hair was dropped makes me feel like yeah, there's something that Wabo will reveal to us later. That's a clue that ties into a reveal later, you know? And I... Sure. There needs to be something more to it than just... And she was slightly awakened before, you know? Slightly aware. I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, we shall see. If you want to leave your own pale predictions, you can do so by following the link in our episode description down below. Uh, yes, and we're back with another discussion question this week. Whoa, what is uh, it? So our discussion question this week, uh, inspired a little bit by an argument we had right before recording, uh, is should Avery tell Clementine the truth about the world? Yes. Like, where is the line for you? So Yeah. Would you yeah. have told Clem the truth if you were Avery? Yeah, and, and like, these sorts of discussions always inevitably involve people bringing in various qualifiers. So I guess... I'm, I mean, it's just to hear, like, what are the situations where people draw the line of mm. when should you tell someone like Clementine or even Daniel, not Sharon, um, the truth yeah, no way, Sharon. <laughs> about this world? Because um, I, I feel like it'll be a bit different for everyone. Um, and I do feel like Clementine is maybe the closest you can get to a bit of a shoe-in for someone who should be told about the world. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, like, I guess broadly, let us know where your line is for when would you feel comfortable Letting an almost stranger like Clementine, who you didn't know directly, in on the world. Yeah. 
Um, if you have an answer to that discussion question, you can leave it in our discussion thread, which again, you can find linked in the episode description down below. Yeah. And if you've finished this podcast and you're like, hey, I want more podcast, uh, head on over to doofmedia.com. That's where all the other doof shows are. Uh, a new episode of Do the Right Thing should have come out. I don't think we've plugged that show enough in, in a long yeah. time. It's good show, though. Like, yeah, it's been running for a very long time now. Um, they're in the se- upper 70s, I think, of their yeah. episode count. It's insane. And can I say, the dynamic between Jarvis and Matthias on Do the Right Thing is one of my favorites among any two Dufosts. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> having really been cool. on uh, an episode, uh, having had them on some of our episodes, they're just such a treat to listen to. Yeah, it's it's really fun time. It's it's one of the podcasts you get the most reward out of engaging with as well. Yes, like writing a yes. story, having them read it, uh, having having other users talk about it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. So go and check that out. You can check out Do the Right Thing or any of the shows on the Doof Media Network by going to doofmedia.com. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget our Patreon, patreon.com slash doofmedia. There's uh there's all sorts of perks. At the ten dollar level, you get access to the bonus content. Uh, there's mm-hmm. Freeman Bros, uh, where Matt and Dan talk about serious topics. Uh, there's Doofovers, where Matt and Jarvis talk about anime, uh, which is the opposite. <laughs> um, the most serious topic there is. <laughs> uh, and Ruben and I have a show that should be appearing on there soonish. Yeah, when this comes out. We've got a, a special show that will be coming on there soon. If you want more info on that, go and listen to the finale of Decomposing Worm, which oh, that's is where right, yeah. we've teased what that show's going to be. <laughs> I'm going like, to let them have the exclusive. Yeah. So uh, go go check that out. And don't forget to stop by patreon.com forward slash wildbow. Uh, you know, if you've sold any mysterious magical nice. artifacts you found on eBay, uh, give him some of the proceeds because he invented this wild world. Yeah, he probably invented that mysterious object that you're selling on eBay. Um, yeah, you can go to patreon.com forward slash wildbow to do that. And I guess with that, we're out. So leave your answers to the discussion question, check out Do the Right Thing, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>